kids' crew, as we call it, a time of worship for children on their age, on their level. And as I've already mentioned, we've got some new ones that are going with them this morning, and so excited to see them head upstairs. How fun is that? Parents, if you're here today, and, and either this is the first time to send your little one on to kids' crew, or maybe you're a guest and you're visiting with us, we want you to know that after the service today, you'll be able to retrieve them, reclaim them, just beyond the exit on this east side of our sanctuary on the second floor where you see many of them headed upstairs is our kids' crew room, and that is where they will be this morning. We're going to be starting a new sermon series today in the book of Daniel, and so we're going to look at the first six chapters in the book of Daniel over the next few weeks, and so I invite you to, uh, to open in your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you're, if you're thinking in your mind, where is the book of Daniel? It's, there's no shame in looking at the table of contents, all right? But if you thumb and you find Psalms and start working your way from there, Psalms, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, or excuse me, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, right? You keep, keep working through that. If you have to sing the song in your head that you learned when you were a kid, that's okay too. Do that. But we're going to be in Daniel over the next, uh, the next few weeks and looking at the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel itself, the book of Daniel, is really arranged into two halves, two parts. The first six chapters tell the story of Daniel's life and his ministry and captivity in Babylon. And then the final chapters of Daniel tell of the prophecy, the word that God spoke to him uh, concerning future events and future times. And so we're going to really zero in, at least in, with this particular stop in the book of Daniel, in the life and, and the work, the ministry of, of Daniel that's recorded in the first six chapters. And so we'll start today in Daniel chapter 1. And through much of the book of Daniel, what we will find is that there are, there are a series of obstacles to overcome. Okay, there are, there are tests and trials at every turn of the story here that Daniel is faced with. Daniel, and not only Daniel, but his friends as well. There are obstacles that they must overcome in order to be faithful to God. There are moments when it seems like their, their lives themselves are in peril, that, that quite literally, and in, in, on more than one occasion, we find situations where Daniel and or his friends lay their lives on the line because of their faith and their commitment to honor God and there are so many great, great lessons for us in these first six chapters of Daniel. And so I, I want us to study this together. And because we have a lot of ground to cover today in the way of some of the background and the history and other things surrounding this, we're really going to jump right in, okay? We're, gonna, we're just going to jump in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read this for us and then go back through and we'll tell the story and, and, and really zero in on what's happening in this first chapter of Daniel. It says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now let's give a little bit of background there along with this and piece together some dates and times. History tells us that in the year 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire, the, 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 the Assyrians who were, uh, we, we've looked at the, the Assyrian some in, in recent days, particularly with Esther in the summer when we were studying through the book of Esther, we were looking at the inner workings of 
the Assyrian kingdom, the Assyrian empire and, and those different things, actually, it was the remnants of that and, and to, to a degree. It was really more of the remnants of some of that with the book of Esther. But, but you find this, the Assyrians rise to power and, and they were a dominant world power. Well, then in a series of successive kingdoms that came afterward, there were these great world conquests that happened. And, uh, and what we find in the book of Daniel is that this is situated in the midst of all of this. So the Assyrians conquered Israel, the, the, the northern ten tribes of Israel, in the year 722. But then in the year 605, which is what relates here, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the southern tribe of Judah fell to the Babylonian empire. The, the Assyrians have now been conquered, subverted, and even replaced in many ways by the Babylonians. And so what we find here with the Babylonians is that the Babylonians kept some of the, the, the practices of the Assyrians. They were ruthless. They were, uh, they were a fierce warrior type of, of people. They were skilled in battle. They were, they were dominant conquerors that laid waste to much of the lands and the places that they ruined in many ways, the same way like the Syrians before them and much like the Persians who follow them in these successive lines. But what is particularly interesting about this particular kingdom, this particular part of the, the, the story, if you will, is what we find in verse 2 of Daniel chapter 1. Read this, and I want to be so clear to point this out as we, as we read Verse 2, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So what we find that takes place in the story of Daniel and everything that follows, and, and really it's, it's a bigger part of the story of what's happening in the life of Judah here, the people of, the people of God, the, the, the Israelites, is that these events were, were allowed to happen by the sovereign will of God working in these situations. Nebuchadnezzar didn't conquer Israel, or excuse me, conquer Judah, just because he was a greater might, but specifically, this book gives us this insight, specifically because the Lord gave Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, into the hand of the Babylonians. And so, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So not only does he conquer Judah, but he raids the temple and carries off some of the precious gold and the treasures that were housed within the temple to God. But lest we think that somehow this means that God is weak or superior to the, the Babylonians and, and the gods with the little g, with the, the lowercase g of the Babylonians, the story is clear to indicate that these things happen because God allows them to happen, because there's a bigger plan here that God is working in the midst of all of this. We read on. It tells us, then the king commanded and placed the vessels, or excuse me, I said that part already. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. 
And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. The chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Now, each of these names is significant because it's indicative of the process of indoctrination and enculturation that the Babylonians were, were forcing upon their subjects, the Judeans. And so each of the names of these young men, these youth who are carried off, and we don't know their precise ages, but it seems entirely reasonable based on our understanding of history and even the subsequent events that followed, that at the time that this happened, it's likely that Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, were somewhere probably in the range of 12 to 14 years old. Probably, most likely, somewhere in that, in that age, 12 to 14 years old, as they were carried off. These young men who represent a part of the nobility and the future of the royal house of, of the nation of Israel, but specifically the tribe of Judah. And so these young men are carried off. Now their names themselves, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, th- their names, each of them have some Something to do with the worship of Yahweh God. Something to do with the worship of, of, of God. And yet the names that they are given in the Babylonian Empire, each of these other names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these names all have to do with the Babylonian gods. And so it's indicative of the fact that they're trying to change not only their names, but their identity. They carry these young men off so that they could fully indoctrinate them in the royal house of the, of the Babylonian Empire. And so they were to eat of the king's choicest foods. They were allowed full access to the, the, the palace in, in every way. They were, they were given royal treatment, but the royal treatment that they were given was done for a reason. Essentially, they were, they were a special kind of prisoner of war, if you want to think of it that way, a, a special kind of hostage, because they were attempting to brainwash them and, and totally... To, to indoctrinate them so that in every way these young men would grow up from this point forward and think of themselves as Babylonians. No longer did they want them to identify as Hebrews of the tribe of Judah, but they wanted to ident- them to identify themselves as Babylonians. And this was a common practice in all of the nations and all of the lands that the Babylonians would have conquered, that they would have done something like this. And yet Daniel and his friends have a choice to make. Are they going to go along and play the part of the willing hostage, or will they find a way to resist? Will they find a way to resist capture? Will they find a way to resist the, the brainwashing that they are to be subverted to, subjected to, that would, that would attempt to, in every way, change their identity? We see the way the story plays out, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the king of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king, essentially, he says to Daniel, if you don't eat and you don't play 
ball with us, right? If you don't, if you don't follow the program, not only are you going to be in trouble, but I'm going to be in trouble. So do what you're told is what he's telling him. But Daniel comes up with a different plan. Verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let us uh, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter. He tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they drank and gave them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year the king Cyrus. Now, let's, let's unpack this this morning as, as we look through the story. In your notes, you'll find a place that you can follow along this morning, and, and you can keep up with with. Our, our, uh, our study here is we're breaking down chapter 1, but then also using this to, to teach us and, and, and looking for points of application in our lives. And so the first thing we see in chapter 1 this morning is a future generation's capture. A future generation's capture. Now, I've, I've talked some already about the fact that this, this program, if you will, this, this type of, this type of activity or, or intentional action where they would take their young captives and they would carry them off into captivity in a foreign land and, and they would essentially, they would feed them a steady diet of Babylonian culture and Babylonian teaching and Babylonian food and all of these things. This was, this was a part of the Babylonians' plan to create a, a dominant world power. So they would conquer a nation and as they would come into the nation, they would kill many of the nobility. Now we know from biblical history that Jehoiakim, who was king over Judah at this time, retained his throne. But many of the other nobles and the other princes and princesses, many of the other royal families in Judah at this time were killed. And so it's entirely likely, we don't have a full record of all of the details of these events, but it's entirely likely that Daniel and his friends witnessed the mass murder of their family and their friends prior to being carried off into captivity in Babylon. And the journey itself from Jerusalem to Babylon was, was a long and, and arduous journey. It would have taken them several months to travel that distance. And most likely they were carried away in some form of stocks or or chains, or they, they were prisoners, no doubt. And so they, they made this difficult journey from Jerusalem to Babylon, these young men, only to arrive in Babylon, and then now everything is thrown at them, right? The king's, the king's palace, the king's food, the king's 
clothing, the king's art and literature and education and all of the things that culturally were royal and, 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 and desirable in that culture were, were given to these young men. So these young men had known the depths of what it means to be a prisoner and now they're in a situation where they have all of these things thrown at them and they have a choice to make, right? And, and, and most likely what happened with the rest, many of the other of these young men who, who remain nameless, we don't know the names of the others beyond these four, but many of these other young men probably went along with the program, right? They probably went along with, with, with what they were told to do, but these four young men had in their hearts that they could not honor God and go along with, with what the king was telling them to do. And so th- there was much at stake here on the line for these young men. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we see the story of these events play out. And so, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, which it really is the closing book of 2 Chronicles, it tells of the fall of Judah. And, and I want you to listen to some of these things that we learn in, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 36. I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 6. And it says, against him, meaning against Jehoiakim, the king of Judah at this time. Against him came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried part of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his palace in Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations that he did and what found was found against him, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Israel. By the way, that's in Second Kings chapter 24 particularly. It says, in the kings of Israel and Judah, and Jehoiakim, his, Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim. You have to keep those names straight. So essentially what happens is Jehoiakim is carried off into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, and along with him, some of the valuables of the temple. Now, we know that the reason that the Babylonians knew about these treasures that were found in the temple is because they had been allowed, many years prior to this, they had been allowed to see all of the treasury in the temple. And so you can see the handwriting on the wall in all of this. But we learn something interesting in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Jump down to verse 21. 2 Chronicles 36, 21, if you're following along with me there. It tells us, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, speaking of Jerusalem here, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So what we see is that all of these events that transpired were really fulfilling the word of prophecy that God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, that because Judah had not honored God, because they had not kept the Sabbaths, and in particular, the Sabbath years that were ascribed as a part of the law, that God allowed them to be carried off into captivity. The Lord even allowed for the Babylonians to take some of these precious goods from the temple and carry them off into captivity. Now, if you continue reading in Second Chronicles 36, what you find is that this remained this way for 70 years, but then during the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord stirred the heart of the, of the king to allow the Judeans to return home. And that's the story that we know of Ezra and Nehemiah and the return to 
Israel to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and, and rebuild the walls. And so we see that even though these, these terrible things had happened, God's hand was in the midst of all of this. But we find a future generation here that is captured. Think of all that are represented by the youth. Think of all the hope and the promise that these young men represented. These were the best and the brightest. They were the most educated. They were from the best families. And that was the reason, of course, why they were carried off into captivity. They represented the future of Judah. And yet, the Babylonians' purpose was to brainwash them so that they would become in every way Babylonian, Chaldean, so that they would think of themselves as, as Babylonians. So we see a future generation's capture here as Daniel and his friends are captured and carried off into a distant land, never to see their families, never to see their homeland again. But next we see in this part of Daniel 1, this part of the story, we see a king's command. A king's command. The king commanded, verse 3, that Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family, the nobility, and the youths, right? That he bring them into the house and of, of, of his palace, the, the house of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and that they be fed the best foods, they be given the best education, they be allowed to wear the finest clothes, that they were given all of the best things, right? The king's command was that they would follow this plan. And Daniel and his friends weren't given a choice in the matter. It wasn't... It wasn't posed to them in the way of, hey, do you guys want to do this, right? Remember, they are prisoners of war here. They have seen the atrocities that the Babylonians are capable of. Likely, they saw their families slaughtered before they were bound in chains and carried off in captivity. They have seen what these Babylonians can do, and they're told, you need to follow this plan. You need to, you need to do these certain things. It wasn't a question, it wasn't posed to them as something, a choice that they, might, that they might make. And yet, at the same time, because of Daniel's desire to honor God, he finds a way to subvert and resist. Now, if you do much reading or study into the tactics today of what happens even today in modern warfare with our United States military, when when a, a prisoner of, uh, one of our soldiers is taken as a prisoner of war, they are trained to actively resist their, their captors. Now, there's a lot of ways that they can do that. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of methods that they're taught for doing that. But they're taught to actively resist their capture in every way that they can. They're not to give up. Our soldiers are not to give information that would endanger their fellow brothers in arms. They're not to give information that would jeopardize the mission of our, of our armed forces, but they are to actively resist capture in whatever means that they can. And essentially, that's exactly what Daniel comes up with here, is a plan that would allow him to resist his captors, but he does it in such a way, he does it in such a way that he's not trying to run, right? He's not trying to break free from his chains and, and take off running. Rather, he, he comes up with a plan that would allow him to, to resist and remain faithful to God, but all the while knowing that, that this is the new reality, right? This is this is his life now. There's no returning home. There's no escaping. There's no, there's no fleeing captivity here. And yet he comes up with a, a plan, an agenda that, 
that would allow him to resist. And God, of course, honors that. So we see the next thing in the story is a young man's brave choice. A future generation's capture, a king's command, but also a young man's brave choice. Verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel made a choice, a brave choice here, because he made the decision that he would not take of all of the food and the wine that the king was trying to, to feed him. Now, these, these things, the food, the, the drink, all of that, it's, it, again, we don't know all of the specifics here. But we, we only know that it, was, that it was the choicest foods. But in all likelihood, these were foods that had been offered as sacrifices to pagan idols and, again, and, and, and also weren't kosher items. You know that the, the Jews had a very strict diet that they followed, a, a very strict set of rules for the foods that they could eat and couldn't, what was considered clean and unclean. And certainly anything that was offered as a, as a sacrifice to a pagan god or a pagan idol was unclean. But along with that, there were many other foods and things that they couldn't partake of as well. And, and so it's entirely plausible here that all of these foods were foods that were unfit according to the law. And that is why Daniel and his friends chose not to partake of these foods. In any way, it would have been defiling. Whatever it was... It would have been defiling. It would have violated not only their conscience, but the very law that God had given them to partake. And so Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Think about all of the implications that that carries. First of all, that's a bold move. That's a bold move for a 13-year-old boy to make, right? That kind of backbone, that kind of spine that he would actively resist in the court of the king is, is a bold and a daring move. And yet Daniel resolved in his heart that he wasn't going to do these things. Secondly, when I think about that, I think about that not only being a bold and a daring move, but in every way, in every way, this not only put Daniel in, in the crosshairs, but his captors as well, his stewards that they're referred to here. And so his steward approaches him and says, I'm using my words here, but he, he basically says, Daniel, if you don't, if you don't do what you're told, not only will you be in danger, but I will be endangered as well. And Daniel conceives the plan. And so that's the next part of the story is a bold challenge. Daniel says this, listen, for 10 days, test me and my friends, 10 days. Let us eat what we choose to eat. Let us drink what we choose to drink. And after 10 days, test us to see, see if we, if we don't thrive, see if we don't, if we don't, uh, excel at, in all of this, right? He's saying, uh, he's putting them to the challenge here. And that's exactly what happens, right? At the end of 10 days, they were tested. They were fatter in flesh. I, I love that phrase, right? They got fat on vegetables. Those must have been some vegetables, right? But they did. They were fatter in the flesh. But essentially, we, we see what's happening here. God is the one who's working in all of this, right? God is the one who's working in all of this so that Daniel and his friends because of their choice to honor God, because of their choice not to defile themselves, God is working in their favor. He is on their side, providing for them, taking care of them every step of the way. And so Daniel issues a bold challenge. Bold, first of all, that this young adolescent youth would have the kind of backbone to stand up and even present a plan like this, but also bold because it's risky. These other guys are are gorging themselves on the, the choicest, 
of foods, right? And Daniel and his friends say, give us vegetables and water and see if we aren't stronger and fitter and healthier at the end of 10 days. A bold challenge for sure. And then finally we see this. It produces a noticeable change. A noticeable change. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends are found to be more fit. And so all of the other youth, all of the other young men who have been captured are given the same diet. Now, you can imagine the grumbling that would have happened, right? You can imagine the way that that would have turned the other guys against Daniel and his friends. Really? We had all of these foods that we were never allowed to have in Judea. All the barbecue, all the pork, all the bacon that we could eat, right? Because none of that fit with the Jewish diet. And for the first time, we, we have all of this. And, and now we, we have to live on vegetables and water because of Daniel and his friends. Already the, the wedge starts to be driven between Daniel and his friends and, and the rest of these young uh, men who later we see how some of that part of the story plays out in future weeks. But because Daniel chose to honor God, God blessed him, God showed him favor. He issues a bold challenge, and then we see a noticeable change. Daniel and his friends were found to be stronger, healthier, wiser, fitter than the others. Not only after 10 days, but at the end of three years as well. So after the full three years of time that the king had commanded, as they appear before the king, God blesses these young men. And so they find favor. There were none of all these captors, cap, captives, I should say, there were none who were found to be as fit, as healthy, as, as wise, as learned, as Daniel and his friends. Clearly, that is the hand of God on these young men. And so as we begin to dig into this story of Daniel, we see the future generations capture. We see a king's command, a young man's brave choice, a bold challenge, a noticeable change. Here's the, here's the lesson that I really want you to take away from Daniel chapter 1 today is this. That when you and I will make the choice to honor God and do what is right, that God will bless our lives. He will bless our actions. He will bless the, the fruit, if you will, of our lives. Now, I don't mean to say that following God will, you know, give you a six-pack abs and, uh, and, and fitter and, and, you know, you got to work at that, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's be fair, right? Uh, but the point is still that when we follow God's plan here, our lives will be blessed because of it. Now, for Daniel and these young guys, they did get the six-pack and all that went along with that, right? They, uh, they were the best of the best because of the Lord's hand of blessing. But no doubt, if you and I will make the difficult and the bold choice to honor God, then he will bless us. Now, think about that in your life, okay? You don't have the same set of circumstances that Daniel and these, and these friends faced. No one has carried you off into captivity. No one has, has uh, slaughtered your family in front of you. No one is trying to uh, totally indoctrinate you or maybe they are, right? Because doesn't it feel increasingly like we live in a world and in a time when our values and our faith are at war against our culture? Doesn't it feel like increasingly we live in a time where we are being pressed from all sides, trying to be brainwashed, trying to be indoctrinated, enculturated, so that we would 
that we would let go of our, our faith and, and, and the moral stand that we are called to take in the Word of God, and, and not only the, the moral convictions that we are to have based on the Word of God, but, but the very heart of our faith itself, doesn't it feel like in every way that we are living increasingly in a day and a time when we can identify with Daniel and his young friends who had to make a bold choice to honor God rather than just swimming with the flow of, of everything that was going on around them in their world, their life, their circumstance. See, how we live today and where we live and the circumstances we face aren't too different from Daniel and his friends. True, uh, none of this has happened at the hand of a conquering nation. But no doubt, we can identify with the circumstances that these young men would have been in. And if these young adolescent youth, if these young boys, again, in all likelihood at this point, 12, 13, 14-year-old young men, can make this bold choice to stand in, in the court of the most powerful man in the world, then surely you and I can find the courage and the conviction to stand for what God has called us to. Surely we can find the courage and the boldness to stand up for the things that God's word calls us to stand for. See, we live in a world that would, that would indoctrinate us. We live in a world that would brainwash us. We live in a world that would try to convince us that the Bible is old-fashioned, that it's out of step, that its truths just don't fit with a modern culture and a modern life. We live in a world that would even try to undermine the very reliability and the truthfulness anyway. Why would you even believe it's an ancient book given for an ancient time? It doesn't even fit today. And yet, you and I, if we are to be faithful to God and his word, we must make a bold choice to stand. And just as we see in the life of Daniel and his friends, when they made the choice to stand, when they stood for what was right, God showed his favor to them. When they honored God, God honored them in the court of this king. And I believe, with all of my fiber of my being, I believe that if you and I will make the bold choice to stand for what God has called us to as his people, that we will find his favor as well. Because I believe that the way that God has called us to is the best possible way for you and I to live. And increasingly, the world laughs at that idea. It scoffs at it even, calls into question everything about our Christian faith. And yet, we ought not to be afraid. We ought not to be dismayed or even discouraged. Instead, we need to strengthen our resolve, as Daniel and his friends did, that we would stand in the circumstances where we find ourselves together. So I'm excited about our study in Daniel chapter 1. I'm ex I mean, in, in the book of Daniel, I should say, I'm excited about these truths that Daniel 1 opens up for us and the way that we begin to see this story unfold because we can find so many places where the Word of God in circumstances that happened hundreds, even thousands of years ago, still apply and speak to us today. And I pray that you would be challenged in the midst of your circumstance that you would choose to honor God with your life and with your witness. No matter how difficult, no matter how much it may seem like you have to stand alone, no matter how much it may seem like the world would be against you, my prayer is that you would make the bold choice to stand 
you would resolve in your heart not to defile yourself the way that Daniel did. In a moment this morning, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response this morning, our altars will be open. And, and my, my prayer is that they would be full of people who make the choice to come and kneel before the Lord today and, 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 and strengthen their resolve, right? To, to resolve in your hearts not to defile yourself in the midst of this world, this culture that we live in today. Today, if you sense that God is calling you to strengthen your convictions, to, to take a stand for your faith, to not give the, the, the ground that the world around us is calling for you to give, my prayer is that you would be moved to prayer and that you would make a commitment before God this morning saying, Lord, no matter what happens in this life, my desire is to honor you above all else. That you would pray for his conviction, his strength, his purpose, his resolve in your heart, that you would be able to do that very thing. And maybe you're here this morning and in all of this, you would think to yourself, well, that, that's good, but how, how can I stand for God when I feel, so, I feel so far from Him? I feel so distant from Him. How can I even know what God is wanting me to do? I mean, I guess I would stand if I, if I even understood what, what He wants from me. This morning, there, was, there is nothing that I would love more, our staff would love more, than to be able to sit with you and pray with you and open the Word of God with you and show you God's plan and his purpose for your life, that he gave himself as a sacrifice for you, that he offered himself up on a cross to die for your sins so that you might live in the strength and the freedom that he gives. There's nothing we want more than to be able to walk you through those, those steps of committing your life to him and, and, and making a decision to honor him in all that you do. And if that's you today, then I would challenge you that you would come forward during this time of invitation as well. Take one of us by the hand and just say, I want to honor God. You know, put it in your words. I want to honor God with my life. I want to follow him. I want to do what, what, what the pastor was talking about. I want to do that and let us help you and encourage you along the way with those next steps of what it means to follow and honor him. First, I want to ask that you would join me in a, a word of prayer. And as we pray, I, I, I pray for God's freedom in our hearts and his, the movement of his Holy Spirit in our midst this morning. As we, as we consciously, willingly choose to honor him in all that we do. Would you pray with me now?